Mine is just one of millions of examples of people who find themselves somewhere and go, this isn't what I envisioned, this wasn't the plan, or this doesn't align with my morals, but here I am. All right, well, we are here today with Meghna Mahambre. Meghna is a award-winning instructor and PhD candidate. Meghna Mahambre studies, teaches, and conducts research on all things romance and sex. She has been instructing college courses for a decade, presents original research at national and international conferences, and recently gave a TED Talk at TED Columbus titled Birds and Bees, Rethinking Relationships and Sexuality Education, which is where I first got to see Magna. It was great. With a master's degree in education, as well as a master's degree in human development and family science, Magna is currently completing a doctoral degree at The Ohio State University, focusing on sexual satisfaction in marriage. She has also attended trainings and seminars offered by the Gottman Institute, Esther Perel, and Dr. Gary Chapman, fans of all of those. <laughs> Magna recently found Spark Relationships and Sexuality Workshops in Columbus, Ohio, which is open to the general public. Spark's mission is to bridge the gap between research and real life, educating the community on matters close to their hearts and hips. Fun. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. That's not the like normal bio that I'm reading. No. No, you know, but it's great. It's part of why we're doing this because these are subjects that everybody or a lot of people can relate to, maybe are thinking about, learning about, listening to Esther Perel or whoever it is, but maybe not necessarily kind of bringing out into the open to discuss, which yeah. is, you know, what we want to do here is bring that you know, kind of story out in the open. Yeah. I mean, I think it is our relationships are central, right, to our lives and to our well-being. And yet it's kind of this thing that we're expected to figure out on our own and do in our off time, but not actually spend time publicly uh, pursuing education or knowledge or learning or growing because there's this assumption that it should just be intuitive and it should just be natural and you just um, should just know how mm -hmm. to do things. But I don't really think that's the case. Yeah. It's not only not the case, but then I think with that assumption, there's this like, and and there's some kind of thing around like, well, let's not talk about it either. Let's yeah. assume we know and, and let's just not even be curious about whether or not we're right. right. Um, it's kind of really built into the, the kind of fabric of our society and our parental upbringing or, you know, whatever it is that influences generations around, you know, this subject and other things too. Right. And oftentimes what happens is people don't seek out help mm -hmm. until they're already having problems mm. yeah. and they're lost and they're hurt and mm. they're, you know, on the brink of a breakup or a divorce. And then it's like, oh no, now we need to seek out help. And, and of course they should, and any time is a good time. But my question is, why do we wait? Why do we wait until something goes wrong to admit that we don't know, or we need help, or we're lonely or afraid or sad? Mm -hmm. Why do we not help ourselves and each other from the beginning yeah. to, to really understand how humans think and feel in relationships. Yeah. I want to kind of back up and talk about how you got into the work okay. and, and what your story is. I saw you on the TED stage and I thought you stole the show. I thought that I love, you know, the, the TED talks. Uh, Columbus happens to have a great program and a lot of really great speakers. 
but some stand out more than others. And I thought that day you really stood out. There was something about your delivery, uh, which I now know a little bit more about. You're a, a musician and have been performing and comfortable on stages. And I want to hear about mm-hmm. that too. But the, you know, both the the content and the delivery, the combination of which I think is what really makes a great TED talk jumped out at me. Thank uh, you. So I'm excited to have you here and to uh, you know learn more because I don't really know you well, and I'm curious just to kind of learn. Tell me, kind of early on, you know, what want to kind of hear the full path, the full journey into the work that you're doing. But what's your background? You know, kind of where are you from? Sure. Your childhood. You know, mm-hmm. let's let me hear a little bit about that. So I was born and raised in Dayton, Ohio, and um, my parents are from India, and my sister and I were both born here. And you know, I didn't. It's not like I had the straight path into this work. I have kind of stumbled into it um, out of curiosity and 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 passion and grit and kind of determination to do what I want to do versus what maybe the path I was originally on or what other people expect of me. But yeah, so I was involved in music growing up and acting and uh, dance and I was very artsy. And I ended up going to college to become a preschool teacher because my mom founded a Montessori preschool in Dayton, Ohio, and has been running it for 30 plus years as the director and head teacher. And I'm good with kids. I love kids. And, you know, when you're 17 and don't really know what else you want to do, you kind of do what's right in front of you. And so I pursued early childhood education and taught for eight years. Hmm. And uh, during that time, I, of course, have always had an interest in relationships and sexuality, as many human beings do. Mm -hmm. And I would read a lot about it. I would talk a lot about it. And, and, And before you kind of, you know, tell me about that, I want to just kind of go back a little bit and understand, you know, you're you're in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. You're in a Indian family and and I don't know, you know, I my wife is a huge fan of Dr. Shafali, do you know? Yeah. yeah so yeah. um and she often talks about kind of the cultural influences and um I forget the language she uses, but it's um like the constructs that, you know, are often in uh, specifically in the Indian kind of lineage, you know, that that's like a thing that there's expectations mm-hmm. for you. Was that true for you as a kid? Did you feel that? Did you sense that? Were your parents like that? So yes and no. That is often the experience for many first and second generation immigrants is kind of balancing the cultural norms from native countries versus America. In many ways, my parents don't really fall into kind of the typical norm for Indian families in mm. that my parents have always followed their hearts and mm. they've kind of been very progressive in their thinking and very mm-hmm. liberal and very mm. um, encouraged me and my sister to do what we wanted to do and mm. what felt authentic for us. Mm-hmm. So, and they have also set that example as well. So, yeah. in their- and, and I'm curious, you know, kind of about that, mm-hmm. right? Because that probably was unique for them to do. Yes. Right. I mean, I'm guessing somewhere along the line, you know, their parents or the generations before had different yes. approach. They weren't as liberal. They weren't no. as open. They weren't as accepting or encouraging. So that. So, do you know kind of their story and how they were able to break that mold? I do know their story mm-hmm. very well, and it it is quite a colorful one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
being born in the 40s and 50s and living in India of all places mm-hmm. and sort of uh, pushing back against the social norms of that time and that culture was not easy. And they did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you do it not really knowing what the outcome will be or whether you'll regret it or whether you'll be happy you did, but they they did. And so that was probably their experience is exponentially more complex and 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 interesting than mine. I was born here and raised right. here. And so the path has been a little easier for me. But have, have they have they kind of shared with you kind of where they got the courage or strength or clarity to make that kind of a leap or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of go against the the grain? I think some people are just born different. Yeah. And you can try as hard as you want to follow the path that's laid out for you and do what you're told to do. But somewhere deep inside, something is just not mm-hmm. right. And, yeah. and, and I think that was the case for both of them, you know, in terms of arranged marriages were the norm, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. going down a very few select career pathways, you know, uh, medicine or engineering mm-hmm. or that law. My parents just in many ways, even before they met it, that didn't fit for them. Mm-hmm. They're both very artistic. They're both very spiritual. They're both very people-oriented. Mm-hmm. And and even in terms of arranged marriages, they looked around and they said, I don't feel like this is mm-hmm. how it's supposed to be. Which is kind of an interesting, I don't know if this is a proper dot to connect, but you know, you know, talking, if you fast forward into the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. um, even then, you know, there's maybe some sort of kind of correlation to that they were kind of going against the grain on this arranged marriage piece, Mm -hmm. you know, and the relationship aspect and how you're now kind of talking about relationships in a different way. Is there any connection to that or is it? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course. So much of how I think about relationships and feel about relationships is a product of hours and hours of conversation over Mm -hmm. the dinner table with Mm -hmm. my parents Mm -hmm. and my sister of us kind of dissecting what is this all about? Yeah. You know, and they would tell stories of their childhood and what their parents' relationships were like and their mm-hmm. family and friends around them and what they're seeing in movies and hearing about in songs and how that would conflict with what they're actually seeing. And so then they went a different path, you know, mm-hmm. and they come to this country and then they see things being done totally differently here. And even with the freedom that is allowed here, even with kind of this individualistic mindset of pursuing happiness and growth in mm-hmm. marriage and relationships, that doesn't necessarily make it uh, simpler or easier. Mm-hmm. In yeah. fact, in any ways, in, in many ways, it complicates things more mm-hmm. because you have so many more options available to you because the foundation upon which you're making relational decisions is very fragile when it has to do with feelings and romance and being mm-hmm. in love, you know, that can come and go very quickly. So we would talk deeply about these these topics and to be able to hear their perspective and hear their upbringing mm-hmm. and hear how it has informed the way they parent us mm-hmm. and the freedom they give us and the way they encourage, you know, and support us um, hugely influences my interest in this. And so you said um, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, did share that you went on to kind of follow the the education path. So was there still some sense that there was like an expectation that you should maybe follow a, a path of some kind that, that was maybe different than the path that you really ultimately felt was kind of in your heart? Mm. No, I didn't 
I have never felt expectations from my parents to do anything that didn't feel right to me. My moving into education initially was merely me being 17 and going, I don't know what else to do. So uh-huh. This sounds good. Yeah. But so what did along, you mean when, when you said kind of yes and no? Yeah. The, the no that I didn't feel expectations is because I, I feel like my parents give us and continue to give us a lot of room to be ourselves. The yes comes from the fact that I still have Indian blood in mm-hmm. my veins. Mm. And so um, they're in many ways, cultural things and religious things and and sort of moral things that have been ingrained in me that are important to me to preserve in terms of how I live my day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that that informs some of how I approach. Yeah. But I I value that. It's not that that part's keeping me back. I I almost feel like in a way I got to keep the best of you know, my roots, but also have the freedom that is allowed. Well, well, you know, I firmly believe that everything is happening kind of for our benefit. Even the things that are difficult and challenging, they can serve us. Mm -hmm. And it's just this kind of um, awakening to um, what's happening and awareness around it so that you know, so that it's not unconscious, unconsciously running right. that you're choosing, you yeah. know, kind of how to use the good parts of right. your upbringing in this case right. to serve you. They don't necessarily have to be wrong or bad or mm-hmm. something like that, which sounds like what you're doing. Yeah. And I think um, a, a benefit is the contrast it creates. If all I knew was one thing growing up and I saw it over and over again and I only had positive experiences and everything mm-hmm. was great and rosy all the time, I think I would have a very narrow view of life and relationships. Mm-hmm. But seeing um, diversity, hearing about diversity, uh, understanding that things are not always black and white mm-hmm. and you know we all have such unique experiences and things that shape us and mm-hmm. you know facing some adversities myself in my personal life and juggling all of that, it gives you this sort of um, contrast to know not only what you want to do and what you want to have in your life and who you want to be, but also what you don't want mm-hmm. to do. No question. You don't want to be. Yeah. Um, equally as important that that what you don't want because sometimes when you don't know what you want, the only thing that you you can start with is what you don't want, right? And then the you know right. the, the the what you want emerges, mm-hmm. and and so you know kind of you know moving forward, you know you you um, are not sure you're 17. You mm-hmm. decide education that's also kind of in the family, so mm-hmm. maybe, but it's also you know kind of a path that you know, a lot of people take that just feels comfortable or energizing. Right. Tell me a little bit about that kind of piece of your life Mm -hmm. and, and, or, or any of the kind of pieces in this period of time that start to shape you that you can now kind of look back and connect dots and say, you know, that was really valuable Mm -hmm. or that was really impactful. I didn't, I didn't know it at the time, but similar, like it's serving you now. Can you kind of elaborate on you know, some of that time either in high school or in college or in your early kind of career where you mm-hmm. started to um, feel some kind of flashes of insight into, mm-hmm. you know, the, your, your life as it is today. Mm-hmm. Well, I think as, as many of us experience, we live these public lives, right? Where we're, we, we are in this routine and we go to work every day and we do the things that people know that we do. And then, then we have this parallel private life. And that includes any of the personal experiences we have, whether it's relationships or otherwise. And my personal life uh, is really what has driven my interest in my work today, obviously. 
because I think everybody is, you know, preoccupied with their relationships and their sexuality. So that's not unique about me. But I think the difference is that I had this fever for it. Mm. I had this hunger to learn and know and um, and and read and explore and grow in those areas because things didn't make sense. Mm. Like what? What was not making sense to you in your personal life that you know you that that kind of caused you to have that that fever to understand? Mm-hmm. Well, we all grow up on Disney movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at least many of us did. And you see things and hear things um, in that sort of narrative that is rosy and happy and lovey and it ends with happily ever after. And there's sort of these strict gender roles for what do the princesses do and what are the princesses. And, and you don't realize how much that imprints on you, right? And so you have these expectations that that's what love looks like. That's what marriage looks like. That's what I should have. That's what I should hope to have. But then I would look around me in the real world and I wasn't seeing those sorts of relationships. Mm -hmm. I was seeing struggle. I was seeing heartache. I was seeing confusion. In your your own relationship or relationships or around you? um, All of the above. Yeah. Mm-hmm. family relationships, friends' relationships, my own relationships. Mm-hmm. And you keep thinking, oh, that's probably because this is not the right one. And mm-hmm. the next one will be the right one, you mm-hmm. know? And Or they're probably going through that because, you know, this one issue. But the, you, you try to rationalize and solve and explain away everyone's, you know, relationships when over time I started to realize, wait, what's really true then? The Disney movies or Mm -hmm. these real life relationships Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. seeing? So I started to become disillusioned about like, well, well, then what is this all about? Because Mm -hmm. we fantasize about love and romance in movies and TV and books and, you know, music. But what are they singing about? Mm -hmm. Because I'm not seeing that sort of rosy relationship anywhere. Mm -hmm. But just because I wasn't seeing it, it didn't mean I became, I didn't become like pessimistic. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't believe in love and I don't believe in marriage and mm-hmm. all of that is crap. It was more like a, if it is, <laughs> if universally around the world, everyone seems to have these deep rooted um, desires to connect mm-hmm. with another human being on this romantic, meaningful, personal, sexual level. I don't think we can discount it. I think there's something there, but maybe the way we're going about it, you know, we're getting in our own way, you know, mm-hmm. or somehow uh, we haven't quite figured out how to foster the healthy, happy relationships. And maybe they don't look anything like the Disney movies, mm-hmm. but then what do they look like? Mm-hmm. What can we hope for? And this is this is kind of your, your thought process that you're kind of going through at this point, just... Yeah. In your personal life, mm-hmm. as you're observing your own relationships, the people around you, mm-hmm. and you're trying to kind of like, the way I'm hearing it, like um, kind of do a bottom line on it or, right. or kind of make the math make sense. Right. And, and it's not really adding up. So, so and you're teaching at this point? Uh, or, or yes. is this even before you're in your professional career? Yeah, I was. I mean, I was. I was teaching at the preschool for mm-hmm. eight years. You know, and you go and you do your day job, and yeah. then you spend the rest of your time. You know, I had hobbies like like we mentioned. I'm a musician, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I had a social life, and then I had a dating life, mm-hmm. and I'm going in and out of these relationships, trying really hard to make good decisions mm-hmm. and pick wisely and be a good person mm-hmm. and. You know, but then you you run into you run into walls, and you're like, oh, I didn't see 
this coming or mm-hmm. I didn't never thought I'd be in this position. And you're trying to navigate all of that. And mm-hmm. for most of my life, because of all of this uncertainty and lack of clarity about love and relationships, I was convinced I would never get married mm. because I thought, it's not that I don't believe in love and romance, but I feel like something about the institution of marriage maybe mm-hmm. is there's so much mm, social mm-hmm. expectations and norms and constructions around it. And I feel like it limits people mm. and people are dying to get into it. But once they get into it, they feel trapped and they want to get out and then infidelity and, you know, and all mm. this other stuff mm-hmm. comes into question. And I thought mm, maybe maybe marriage is a problem. You know, mm-hmm. maybe we should just be in more of this free-flowing mm. lifestyle where you enter and exit relationships only as long as they serve you. Yeah, and let me just, um, I want to be curious with you about that. So you're having this thought, right? And this is how long ago was this like starting to emerge for you? How many years mm, ago? I mean, gosh, all my life, but maybe 15, 20 years. Yeah, so, so and the reason I ask is because like, at least on my radar, radar, like Esther Perel was not talking about what she's talking about. Right. At least like I didn't hear about it, right? right that long ago. Right. And so the dialogue in society wasn't um, at least prevalent, maybe much at all. Right. And, you know, probably pretty underground, if anything, that this institution, you know, these are the constructs that, you know, Dr. Shafali and others are talking about, mm-hmm. Esther Perel talked, they're, they're constructs that are, that are really, you know, kind of institutionally built into society. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to question them, wonder about them, kind of alone, right? I mm-hmm. mean, there wasn't really a, a, a whole lot of support to even be thinking about this out loud, right? right? Right. Yeah. And so what was that like? In some ways, very scary because mm-hmm. you're going against the grain and kind of uh, taking a risk to say that I don't think I want to get married or I don't think, you know, but at the same time, you know, I had parents who were very open-minded and mm. who would hear me. I, I, I would talk about you it with them. You would talk about it with yeah. them, yeah. And they would validate everything I was saying. And mm-hmm. they would say, yeah, we hear you. And mm-hmm. we, we see that and we agree with that. And, you know, you're very lucky that you, we are living in a country where you can actually do what you want mm-hmm. and you're not going to be punished, you know, mm-hmm. or outcasted or shamed for it. Like mm-hmm. more, and, and we think there is still a lot of that in this country and there is, but right. relatively speaking. Sure, right. Compared to what they were used to, it's oh, like a total yeah. night and day. Yeah. yeah. So I had some permission to feel this way. I had, mm-hmm. you know, from my parents, some some autonomy, but but still I'm faced with the rest of the world and the rest of the world's probably expecting me to go down this certain path. So um so yeah, there was a lot of thinking and questioning and observing my personal life and the lives around me and asking questions and having conversations. And yeah, so that's kind of where it started. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't, I'm guessing, a PhD program where you could explore um, research on romance and sex at that point. No, that was right. not even anywhere on my radar. Right, so how then, like, like help me understand then where you go from there. You know, you're, you're you know, having these feelings your whole life, mm-hmm. you're starting to get, you know, a little bit more um, kind of, you know, into it as you're now a young adult and mm-hmm. in your own dating and your own relationships yeah. and seeing people around you. Um, how do you take the steps from teaching and these experience into starting to really go deeper yeah. into this work? Well, 
a lot of luck, honestly, and a lot of really great opportunities that were handed to me. So as I was a preschool teacher in Dayton, I was invited by Wright State University to adjunct and teach a child development class in the evenings. So I started doing that and I did it for several years and um, it was going very well. I loved teaching. The students loved having me and they were requesting for me to teach other classes. So Wright State offered me a number of other classes that they already offer and said, are you willing to teach any of these? And I wasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just weren't. Um, they was in the psychology department, but the nature of the, the classes wasn't anything that interested me. And so I said, I want to teach more, but I just don't think I'm really an expert on those topics. I don't think that's for me. And so the assistant chair at that time said, okay, let me ask you this. If you could teach anything you wanted to teach in our department, what would it be? And I looked at him and I said, you mean if I could just like make up a class? Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah. And I went out on a limb and I said, I would want to teach a class on romantic relationships and sexuality. Mm. And I mean, at that point, I have no... This is when? How many years ago? I was 25. Mm -hmm. um, So 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. 25, fresh out of my master's program, you know, adjuncting for the first time ever. I'm a few semesters in and I'm just kind (laughs) of... How did they respond to that? He, well, he, it was funny because I said, I want to teach a class on romantic relationships is what I said. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, oh, well, we already offer a class on human sexuality. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, did you <laughs> I know? And did I, you know what the class was? I mean, did you know what they... they yeah, kind of, it's a very basic like yeah. human sexuality 101 kind right. of thing. Like here, anatomy, right? right? right here's right. physiology. Here's how the body works. Right, here's right. reproduction, whatever. This is not relationships. Yeah. Right. And so he said, how would that be different? Uh-huh. And I said... Oh, (laughs) well, I was like, so sexuality is one part of many relationships, but then there's all this other stuff, right? I want to teach about all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty um, crazy that I even asked for that because I had no authority at the time, no, you know, qualifications to be doing that. My degrees weren't in that. It was purely based out of personal interest. And somehow he said, yes. Mm-hmm. He said, great, just, yeah, uh, you know, send me a syllabus and we'll offer the class. And so, oh my gosh. So I went home and I looked up textbooks and designed an entire course on it. And um, yeah, I was curious, you know, the, I mean, it's, it's like, it's pretty amazing. You know, when I think about where I was at 25 years old and where most people are to have the courage, the confidence to kind of go for it, to take that opportunity when they're asking the question, put yourself out there on a subject that was probably, you know, maybe more comfortable for you, but most people are uncomfortable still, like as adults mm. talking about. Um, and and I was curious, like the confidence to say it, was it, was it backed by having any kind of understanding of what you would actually do? Or did you then go, oh, I better figure out how I'm going to do this? <laughs> Gosh, where did that confidence come from? I don't know. I look back and I don't know what... I I probably divine intervention at that point in time going, you know, it planted the seed in me. Like, say it. it just came out. Yeah. Yeah. You have an opportunity. Someone's literally asking you, what would you want to teach? Like, how often does that opportunity come Yeah. And sometimes the answer is just that simple. Like, I know that might sound a little woo-woo, but like, I believe when I look back at my life, Mm -hmm. those moments you know, we're absolute divine intervention. You just don't know where they come from. There's no other way to explain it. Right. But I I am just, I want to kind of like double click a little bit on this, like 
your relationships, is there one relationship or one story or something that kind of, because it feels to me, and I might be wrong and, you know, tell me I am, but it feels like there's some sort of like spark that really, uh, which is probably the the right word to use, right? But there's some sort of spark that really kind of gets you to have that kind of confidence or passion or something for this Mm -hmm. work. Is it, is that true? Was there any relationship in particular that really kind of did solidify that this is what you wanted to be doing? Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, to the extent you're comfortable. Yeah. Yes. And it was my very first relationship ever when mm-hmm. I was 15 years old, a freshman in high school. I didn't see it coming. Nothing about it was, you know, what you expect for a teenage relationship. Um, the person, the circumstances, the nature of it the way the first kiss happened, I mean, it blindsided me. And as it is when you're 15 and in high school, you it's a very formative time, right? You're mm-hmm. an adolescent. You're really struggling with a lot of things in terms of identity and self-esteem and um, sorting out your life. And then, you know, in walks this person that sweeps you off your feet. And in so many ways, there's good things about it, but there's also some really strange, unusual, uncomfortable things about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I was sort of grappling with all of that. Mm-hmm. And it was single-handedly what kind of propelled me to take such an interest in this topic mm-hmm. um, informally. Because at that time, I mean, little did I know, looking back now, it's 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 silly and harmless and, and mm-hmm. perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But when you're 15, you don't think that. Mm-hmm. And so I navigated those waters alone, Mm -hmm. which I believe is an experience a lot of people have when they're young and kind of exploring romance and sexuality for the first time you're Mm -hmm. doing things, but um, there's a lot of doubt and fear and anxiety and shame and Mm -hmm. confusion surrounding Mm -hmm. it. And every relationship since then, I feel like has uh, been informed by what I went through. Mm-hmm. I think largely mm-hmm. who I am today and my relationships is a product of what happened when I was 15. Yeah. You know, as I mentioned, I I internally <laughs> processed and struggled and tried to make sense of and tried to come to terms with and find peace with what happened for those six months. And it wasn't until years later that I had been through some other relationships and I went to college and I took a class on human sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I remember about halfway through the semester, I was reading a chapter at home and there was this one paragraph. And in just a few sentences, it said, many adolescents go through X, Y, Z when Mm -hmm. they're young. Mm -hmm. Exactly my experience. Mm -hmm. And then the next sentence said, this is totally normal. This mm-hmm. is typical. A lot of people experience it. It's just part of the developmental process. Mm-hmm. And it went on. And mm-hmm. I remember I froze and I read it again mm-hmm. and I read it again and I read it again and tears streaming down my face mm-hmm. because for the first time, something that I went through that I had never talked about with anyone that I felt was so abnormal and, you know, wrong and, you know, all these things, uh, I was in in one paragraph in a textbook in a human sexuality class. It made it okay. Mm-hmm. It made it normal. Totally. It, it it and and I just remember that was kind of a turning point 
it was liberating. It mm-hmm. was validating. It was comforting. Yeah. And, and I uh, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. I know, you know, it's still not easy to, to share, talk about. And, you know, I'm, but this is why we're doing this. I really, you know, do really appreciate what you're doing here because other people don't have that textbook. They don't take that class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the point of this podcast is for people to see themselves mm-hmm. in the guest and understand that they're okay, that they're normal, that these things can serve us, mm-hmm. that, you know, there's no, to, to release the shame, to release the guilt. And so, you know, what you're doing by sharing, I think is, will be helpful for somebody else. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, especially important because you've uh, really gone on to use it. Yeah. And you know, what I've come to learn, you know, in the world of trauma is that sometimes, you know, what, you know, they would kind of classify as like little T trauma, right? Yes. Um, is so undervalued in the impact that it has on a young person, mm-hmm. you know, that if there isn't this like capital T trauma, there's some sort of obvious, like this thing happened, mm-hmm. which everybody knows is wrong and bad and consequently gets treated mm-hmm. is, is, is okay to discuss. Or, or sometimes you don't even know it, that the little T trauma is actually really a trauma because it's a little bit less, you know, kind of loud. And yet it's real. It's very real, uh, especially for young people. It can really kind of get into the body yeah. and, you know, change your, your way of being. Yeah. Which is, you know, what sounds like was happening for you. Mm. Well, um, thank you for sharing all of that. I think it's really, really uh, profound for people to hear. I want to kind of go forward. You know, you're, you read that textbook. And you have this kind of like what sounds like an awakening moment where where what's happened and what's maybe been running afterwards mm-hmm. is starting to make sense to you a little bit. It's like a bit of a, aha, wait, you know, that's me. And then what? You know, what happens then? Yeah. This voracious hunger to know yeah. more, to yeah. learn more, to keep going down that path of mm-hmm. reading and learning and mm-hmm. understanding and yeah. talking to people and yeah. hearing their experiences and sharing stories. Right. It just continued and continued. Yeah. And um, so, you know, that that was just that, that reading that textbook was a turning point. So you can imagine back to the, what class do you want to teach? And mm-hmm. I say romantic relationships. Yeah. And he says, yes. In my mind, like talk about a full circle moment right. where that that like that pivotal moment for me that made it okay, that made me know that I'm normal and it's okay, and every yeah. you know, to know that I could potentially have a platform mm. to help other people make sense of their past, yeah, of things that happened in their childhood or adolescence relating to relationships, mm-hmm. to open up conversations around taboo topics and things mm-hmm. nobody would ever want to admit that they've done or mm-hmm. thought about to create a safe space to say, let's talk about the yeah. things and not just the black and white, you know, obvious, right, and wrong, good, and bad, but let's yeah. talk about that gray area stuff mm-hmm. that no one ever really wants to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just kind of sitting here, you know, feeling like uh, as hard as that was, as difficult as that was, that it led you to this, right? That you can now really, really like, 
in the body, again, you've embodied what that experience is like so that you can now use it fully to serve you in your work, which is there to then serve a whole lot of other people. It, it, it does. And I've kind of you know, had to do this in my own life where I get to see like, you know, thank you. There's some level of, of gratitude that you had to go through that. You know, it does feel very, you know, again, this is just my belief, like very divinely perfect mm-hmm. in, a, in a very odd way, right? Mm-hmm. But that, like you said before, if you don't have these struggles, if you, if you didn't have that experience, you know, what would you be doing? Right. You know, and, and look what you're doing now with all of that. I mean, I just want to applaud you for it. And, and I'm curious to kind of hear, like, is that how you see this now? Well, yes. Mm-hmm. I've had, uh, you know, the few close people that I've told the story to, they've often said, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I bet you hate that part of your life and you wish you could go back and change it. And the, the truth is, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't change it. Um, that little T trauma that you're talking about is precisely what has shaped me into mm-hmm. who I am today. And I think you can go two ways when you go through something um, like that. You can spiral downward, mm-hmm. right? And out of hatred and resentment and anger and uh, and, you know, kind of an unhealthy path to coping with it. But somehow that wasn't the path I went down. And I, I'm not saying I intentionally wanted to be wise and you mm-hmm. know optimistic and see the silver lining. It just, somehow it, it, it just went that way in that I developed such a compassion. Mm, right. Such an insight yeah. into how we can find ourselves in situations that yeah. we never saw coming. Yeah. And mine is just one. Mm-hmm. of millions of examples mm-hmm. of people who find themselves somewhere and go, this isn't what I envisioned. This wasn't the plan mm-hmm. or this doesn't align with my morals, but here I am, or mm-hmm. I made this mistake or, you know. Yeah. And, I, I, it could be in relationships or in anything. Yeah. There's, you know, and um, I, I'm thinking about your parents and I'm wondering, and, and you know, I'm sure this is playing some role you know, it, it feels like this is just who you are inside of you. But, you know, in some way it had to be kind of this thing that was either observed or passed down in the DNA because mm-hmm. your parents did the same thing in their own way, yes. as you said, yeah. you know, breaking the mold and leaving India. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is just kind of, um, whether it's because of them or, or you know, it, it's who you are. It wasn't yeah. who you were to let it defeat you was just kind of in you to really use it. Yeah. And, and I, you know, it just so happened that I was in education just so happens. I have a passion for teaching Mm -hmm. and I guess it just sort of, sort of manifested itself in like, okay, I can either block out that part of my life and pretend like it didn't happen and move on, or I can try to make something good out of it and try to help other people who are in my shoes. And yeah, and I want to talk to you about what you're doing now so that we can really, you know, make sure that it gets out there and people understand it. But I am curious, one other thing, music. I know music is a big part of your life and has been. And I've always been really intrigued and in um, believing that we are all born creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know for a lot of people that is hard for them to connect to because they just don't feel that way. And maybe that's true. But 
Um, creativity, art, uh, I think has a real value in healing and in expression and kind of, you know, learning to become, you know, whoever it is or whoever you want to be. And how was that for you? How did music kind of come into all of this and, and play a role in, in your life? Well, music has always been there because my parents are also musicians. And so, you know, I grew up in a musical household and from a very young age started getting involved in school musicals and talent shows. And I just always loved singing and didn't really have an agenda with it other than just to keep singing. And when I went to college, I was approached by some um, producers who said, we're looking for a female vocalist. And I, I mean, I never thought that, that would happen. And so I said, yes. And they wanted to write original music. And so then we started writing songs together and it kind of just happened. It's not so much that I pursued it, but it just happened. And and then that was the beginning of what has now been like a 15-year uh <laughs> music career, I guess, in, in writing, recording, and performing original and it, music. And in your writing and in your kind of, um, you know, performing, does it feel at all like it is a part of kind of the healing and the expression of, of kind of your life? Do you, I, I mean, is, is that coming through in your music at all? Has that been um, a valuable tool for you to kind of navigate Totally. Life, yeah. yeah. I mean, art often is a, a form of healing, right, for all of us. And many songs mm-hmm. are about love and relationships, yeah. right? And I've written many of my own songs about my own past relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, I also think that, uh, you know, um, music on the side has been a release for me. So I've got the day job. I yeah. am definitely the type of person who likes structure and, and, and work and, 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 you know, that type A side of me that wants to be productive and self-sufficient and all that. And then I've got this free-spirited artistic side of me that comes out, you know, mm-hmm. in the evenings and weekends that wants to just really let loose and yeah. kind of color outside the lines and, and, um, do things just because they feel good. And, um, connect with other people on that level. So it's a very, it's, I'm, I'm kind of half and half, you know, a lot of times people are super artsy or they're super kind of structured and, um, and I'm both. Yeah. I'm both. Yeah. Yep. I think, uh, I think sometimes people feel like they should be one or the other, but really, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's okay to be both. Okay. So tell me a little bit about um, where are you with the PhD program? Mm -hmm. And I'm curious because, you know, you you choose to go this route of um, studying at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, to be credentialed at that level, mm-hmm. um, which is often something I've kind of grappled with. You know, I've toyed with you know getting into um, therapy and and you know I've kind of landed on coaching for now and mm-hmm. um, kind of questioned the the routes in the educational world and the mm-hmm. credentialed world. And so tell me a little bit about it, kind of how you chose to make the commitment to go yeah. the path that you're on. So when I was at Wright State and I started teaching the relationships class, um, it just so happened that the professor who was teaching the human sexuality class uh, went on paternity leave. So they offered me to teach that too. So I was teaching both romantic relationships and human sexuality and child development, you know, at the college level. And fell in love with it. Mm. 
And after five years of doing that, I realized I knew teaching was definitely my calling, but the college level felt um, like a better fit than preschool. And the only way to do that full time is to go back and get the PhD, right? Mm -hmm. To get a faculty position. So Mm -hmm. it was sort of the path to Mm -hmm. my career, you know, uh, dream career. And, and so that's what brought me back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm actually in the human development and family science program. So there's not necessarily a department that's right. called relationships and sex. Not yet. <laughs> you know, when I was in college, there wasn't a real estate school. So, oh, you know, well, yeah. you know it, it, it takes time. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, you're pushing us there. You know, I think yeah, that, that I the think... work that Esther and others are doing is really, really pushing um, us you know, and it's great that there's a place at least that you can land. Mm-hmm. And with the PhD program, you have the flexibility to do research right. and kind of pick how you want to focus. I think, and you know, there certainly are uh, sexuality studies departments around the country, and yeah. it, you know, but you know, uh, generally speaking, those of us who are taking this path mm-hmm. um, are carving out a path for ourselves. Right. There's no straight line. Right. Like you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, "How are you do? How if someone wants to do what you're doing, which yeah. is relationship and sexuality education, what should they do?" Yeah. And it's like, I I don't know, just keep knocking on doors, right. you know, keep We're all trying uh, to figure following it out, your so, heart. Yeah, yeah, like just any opportunity you get, go yeah. because mine wasn't a straight line, but I sort of decided after years of toiling around in other things. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. this is what I want to do. Yeah. This is important. And you better believe when I first told people I was going back to get a PhD in romantic relationships and I got some looks. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And still today, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's better, but you know, it's still a thing that people just don't really understand or well, know. Well, it sounds really fluffy, right? It's like, <laughs> what are you going to study? Right. <laughs> what is there even to, to to learn about that? Or what are you going to do with that? And it's funny to me when I get that reaction. Yeah. Because it's like, really? Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I think you maybe spoke to this in your TED Talk, but you know, we're not teaching this in school, right? We're teaching some things that appear to really not have a whole lot of use in real life, mm-hmm. you know, sure, maybe it's helpful to learn how to think about certain things, but, you know, relationships are something that everybody ends up in. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty behind in, in having conversations about the things that we're actually doing every mm-hmm. day in our life, yeah. which which brings me to Spark. So, you know, talk a little bit about Spark and kind of how you're going about, you know, educating the community on, on you know, this Subject. Yeah. Well, after teaching classes on these topics for many years, um, I found so many of my students would come to me saying, This is the most important class I've taken in my entire college career. Mm-hmm. I'm actually applying it in my mm-hmm. real life. I mm-hmm. finally, I no one's ever mm-hmm. talked to me about these things before. You know, mm-hmm. I've never had an outlet or I've never had these questions answered. And so they would, I mean, they would walk out going, I wish this class wasn't ending. Mm. I wish we could have another one. Mm -hmm. I wish I could bring my boyfriend or girlfriend because I go home and tell them stories about the things you taught. And so I I, I would hear this plea for more. You know, I want more. I want to bring more people. I want, I wish I could keep doing... And it suddenly occurred to me, like, why is this so exclusive? It's mm-hmm. like, if you happen to be enrolled in this university and this elective, you know, you sign up for this elective, then you get this class. Why is it an elective? Yeah. You know, why is, why do you have to pay thousands of dollars to take a class to learn about? Why is this not just available to the general public? Right. So that anybody who's interested can sign up. My gosh. I mean, when you, when you think about like the divorce rate and the trauma of uh, breaking up families and, you know, the impacts that, you know, the current model around relationships is the the downside of kind of how things are currently being done. Mm -hmm. You'd think 
that this would become. And maybe it is, and it's just, you know, the time and it's taking time, but um, just a critical part of what we're talking about and teaching people. Yeah. And, and it's great that, you know, you've developed a platform to be able to do that. Yeah. I think we've been operating um, on this sort of, if it ain't broken, don't fix it right. sort of thing. Like wait till there's problems and yeah. then sort it out. But I feel like, you know, our relationships and our relational health is a lot like our physical health. Mm-hmm. You know, right. you can either wait until something goes wrong right. and then try to turn it around and go to the doctor and take medicine and change your habits. Or you can go, hey, I heard that vegetables are healthy. I've yeah. learned that over and over again in school. Hey, mm-hmm. I've heard that exercise is necessary. And you can choose to start to form those habits early on. Yeah. You don't need to wait until you get sick. You don't need to wait until right. you're diagnosed. You know, you don't, you can choose to be proactive yeah. about your physical health. Why don't we apply that same philosophy to our relational health? Yeah. I mean, it's like the spine that you talked about, you know, that you didn't have at 15. This is like the muscle that we are trying to build. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and it does really, I think, all come together in how we end up achieving the happiness or peace or um, joy that we're after. Right. You know, we can't ignore the relationship piece of the puzzle. It's right. too important. Right. You know, you've got your physical health. People openly talk about that. I'm um, a big proponent of talking about the mental health side of things. Mm-hmm. And the relationship piece is just intertwined in all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've had a lot of people ask me, how come I haven't gone the therapy route? Like, mm-hmm. oh, why aren't you a marriage yeah. counselor? Yeah. You would be a great one. And I say, there is definitely a need for that. And I really respect people who go that path, yeah. but it takes a certain kind of personality to be able to sit on a couch and have a couple come in with decades of layered yeah. complex oh, issues yeah. uh, that you now need to help them sort through. Right. And I am not that person. Yeah. For me, I would rather be on the front end of relationships, sure. right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You, you know, and it, it's not necessarily a specific age group. You could be divorced and starting over in a new relationship. But sure. the front end of relationships is where you really have an opportunity mm-hmm. to learn about yourself, to learn mm-hmm. about your partner and to start forming patterns and habits that will hopefully lay a foundation for a healthy relationship. That's 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 what makes me feel alive is yeah. to help myself, you know, and sure. other people. Yeah, we're learning do through doing the work. It's yeah. you know, I like to say I'm a work in progress and by no means have figured it all out, but I I'm learning uh, so much, you know, mm-hmm. by having conversations like this and um, surrounding myself by people with people like you. Um, that's why gravity is here mm-hmm. is to bring these kind of conversations to the community mm-hmm. uh, so that there is a place, a safe place, an uplifting place, a place where we can remove the stigmas right. and start to have some real like normal conversations that have have unfortunately been abnormal, yeah. you know, in, in at least this part of the country. And um, so I, I thank you for what you're doing. By the way, uh, before we wrap up, mm-hmm. have you read uh, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, Lori Gottlieb? You, I have it's 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 really more of uh, the therapy perspective. Yeah, but it's a wonderful book. Um, I've been kind of obsessed with this story. It's a quick kind of candy okay. page turner, but check yeah, it out. I will. Um, she she goes through. She's a therapist, and she goes through a breakup, and then kind of goes into therapy. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the bouncing back and forth between her being a therapist right. and her being oh, in therapy. And there's a lot of relationship stuff in there that um, is is uh, 
really kind of a great way to uh, learn and be entertained. It's, yeah. it's a great book. So anyway, any final thoughts? You know, I uh, a big a goal of mine with Spark, these relationship and sexuality workshops that I'm offering is to make it a comfortable environment, um, a safe environment for people to come into. I think, you know, a minute ago we were talking about therapy and I'm a huge advocate of therapy, but I also know there's a lot of fear around it and stigma mm-hmm. yeah. and, and people, you know, feel nervous about doing that. And that is why I'm offering Spark because I want it to be a relaxed, fun, lighthearted, mm-hmm. casual environment with, that is open to everybody, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of, religion or culture or, um, you know, age or marital status, sexual orientation, gender. I mean, there are universal elements of love regardless of who you are. Mm, yeah. And that's kind of what I want to speak to. I want to create a space where people can come together and learn and grow. Yes, you know, I'm doing this PhD and I want to be able to bridge the gap between research and the real world and kind of help inform people. But I also think there's so much we can learn from just hearing each other's stories. Totally. The collective wisdom in the room yeah. and and kind of knowing how other people have handled things and what they've observed and experienced, I think is really powerful, but we don't really have a platform for that right, right now. Yeah, it's really great. And I appreciate you saying that and sharing your story here today because you're doing exactly that by um, being vulnerable and talking about things you've never talked about before, mm-hmm. which I feel honored to um, to be with you um, in hearing that journey. And I think it really, really does set an example that, you know, with what you're doing with Spark, that, that people can come and share, that there's a, there's a, a, a safe space, um, you know, a space that's, that's um, welcoming and uplifting and honoring. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just was at this, um, event in California that Russell Brand um, spoke uh, about addiction. Mm -hmm. And he said when he um, checked himself into rehab for the last time, uh, he was a horrible heroin and crack addict. Um, The the woman that that welcomed him at at the rehab said, wow, you were so resourceful. That was so amazing of you that you used heroin to deal with your pain. That's you know incredible. Like I'm so proud of you that that's how you have been navigating your pain all these years. You know, come on in. We're going to help you do that another way. Mm. And it was like an embrace, an Mm. embrace of something that wasn't made to be wrong Mm. or shamed. I mean, obviously, you know, that wasn't going anywhere good for him. But for people to be able to just be embraced and welcomed in their truth Mm -hmm. and not feel so isolated and shamed and alone is a pretty powerful part of the healing. And that's what you're doing here today. And that's what you're doing with Spark. And um, people can find your TED Talk. I'm sure it's online. Mm -hmm. Anywhere else they can find you that you want to share? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can find the TED Talk on YouTube. Um, It's called Birds and Bees, Rethinking Relationship and Sexuality Education. And then you can also learn more about Spark through our website, sparkwithmegna.com. Great. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Magna. I appreciate you Thank being you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. 
please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.